It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Previously on Fast Break Breakfast. Dominoes. Hey, Brent. That was a that was a joke. I got it. That was a joke. What's up? Nothing. Uh, here, let me read you an intro, and we will start. Very nice. Like what? What's your best Kobe Bryant story as far as your your playing days going up against him? Oh man, I you know, it's so Kobe, right? Two jerseys, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> when Kobe first came to L.A., uh, his representation at the time was Arn Tellum, the the same agent that represented that that I had represent me, which is always weird to say out of your mouth. It's like a weird uh-huh. like what I had somebody represent me anyway. So. Um, yeah, when Kobe signed with with uh, Arn uh, and Arn's relationship with at the time Sonny Vaccaro, because uh, Kobe was going to come in and be an Adidas uh, guy, I was uh, in the office the first day that Kobe came in. Oh. Heard about him, talked about him. Philly guy, Arn was a Philly guy. Sonny knowing him well, and so on the first day that he came into the office, we sort of struck up a a relationship and a conversation at that time. And um, I've always been fascinated by Kobe uh, in so many ways. I've always uh, been a fan of Kobe's. I've always thought about, could I play with Kobe? Would I enjoy that experience? I I know that I would be able to play with him. Would I enjoy it? Um, How challenging would that be? Uh, Could I have helped other guys maybe not make it so challenging for them? Um, and speak the language that Kobe's speaking to them and translate it to them in ways that maybe was a little less abusive at times. <laughs> I've gone through those conversations many times um, and then had a chance to obviously play most all of my career uh, against Kobe, uh, whether I was you know in, in the starting lineup or whether I was playing off uh, a team's bench, whatever kind of contributions I was making, you know, we were matched up. Uh, quite a bit. I think we played 35 games against one another in the in the regular season. I looked it up to make sure. Oh, and uh, I, I enjoyed competing against him. I enjoyed um, the way that Kobe raised the level of attention to his opponents uh, individually, uh, the teams that faced him, the the league as a whole, uh, the reinventing of himself several times through his career. Uh, he's been so polarizing for the Laker franchise. He's been so polarizing for the league, being part of some of the Lakers' greatest moments in their history, and quite frankly, some of the lowest lows that the Lakers have ever been a part of. Um, and yet, the guy has just been laser-focused on what what Kobe Bryant needs and what Kobe needs to do. And uh, much like in in the way, in a cheesy, cliche way that I will say Frank Sinatra did it his way, there's no doubt that Kobe did it his way. 
and um, on the day we're talking, as you as you mentioned, two two numbers will be retired in his honor um, in one of the most historic franchises that the league has ever seen, and that's going to be really really special tonight. Do you happen to know of those thirty five regular season matchups what your uh, record was? I, I do know it. I, he won eighteen, and I won seventeen. Oh. But I don't say. Actually, that's the wrong way to say it. No, you said Kobe, it perfectly. No, no, no adjustments needed. No, no. Kobe won 18. The team I was on won 17. <laughs> I won't throw myself even I'm closer. going to edit that part out. Yeah, right. We always start talking about breakfast on this show. So uh, you travel a lot, it seems, in your job. Yeah. So I yeah. want to know, my question is, have you found any particular breakfast spots in NBA cities that you make an effort to go back to? Oh man. So like, I love breakfast. It's, uh, it's one of my, I I would say it's my favorite meal of the day. Um, and breakfast foods, I can eat it all day. Uh, but when I'm on the road, (laughs) it's a little tricky for me to actually go out to eat. Um, so I am, typically ordering room service as I'm prepping or, um, you know, rushing to get to shoot around or in between um, shoot around and and, and heading to the uh, arena for the game. So I would say I don't have a a particular spot in any city. Typically just uh, go to either a local Starbucks and get a banana and some bands and bagels and my tea and I'm out the door to shoot around or I just uh, order breakfast uh, to the room as I'm getting ready. So not not too exciting. I'm sorry I can't help the listeners out. So your your answer is $12 <laughs> room service coffee. <laughs> it's exactly like I, I have, I don't know, when I look at my bank account, I'm like, what, where did all that money go? Oh, it's $50 <laughs> of room service per meal on like oatmeal. What are you doing? Um, but look. Uh, when you're on the road and you're you're packing up uh, a lot of uh, interviews and um, trying to see both teams, I guess you just pay for convenience. So you're you're a Bulls fan from Chicago. Like, did you did you grow up on the MJ Bulls? MJ being your favorite player, is that how you became a sports fan? Well, um, Jordan actually wasn't my favorite player. Um, Ron Harper was, oh. and Gary Payton. Oh, very nice. Oddly. Uh, but um, I grew up watching the Jordan Bulls. I mean, I was. Like uh, I was in grade school and middle school throughout the championships. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of just in my blood. Uh, It's how I, you know, it was my first true love when it came to sports um, were the Bulls. And then, I, you know, basketball uh, was my favorite sport growing up. And, um, you know, I was pretty good until I peaked too soon. I was after middle school. Uh, I ended up being better at soccer later on in life, but because um, I didn't work on my left. But I'm not so bitter about that. But don't, not at all. Don't worry about that. Uh, so yeah, the basketball has been in my um, just my life since as long as I can remember. When you were dominating in middle school, or when you were peaking in middle school, your words. Uh, what what, yeah. what 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 playing style were you like? What type of uh, what was your NBA doppelganger for for Cassidy Hubberth middle school oh basketball star? Gosh. You know it's kind of crazy. Like I was I was like a Matthew Dellavedova. <laughs> I just like hustled, uh, like nonstop running. I mean I don't know if Matthew Dellavedova ever recorded uh, double digit rebounds, but like I was that person who just like always found the ball. 
um, and was like throwing my body around just so I could, you know, get the ball. So um, I, yeah, I had 16 rebounds in one game, five, six, no big deal. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that that was more of my playing style. Like I was, it was more hustle than finesse. You're not ready to go um, Dennis Rodman? I mean, it sounds like Dennis Rodman. You know what? Boom. See, Keith, you know me better than you. <laughs> I mean, like I just, uh, you know me better than myself because uh, that's, that's right. I'm Dennis Rodman, but I could shoot. Dennis Rodman was actually my favorite NBA player. I always say like pre-tattoo Dennis Rodman was my favorite player. Like I remember him on the Pistons getting getting 25 rebounds and blocking shots and close lining Larry Bird. And I'm like, this guy is incredible. And I want to play basketball like him. Yep. Yep. You know what? That is what I'm going to go with from this point forward. (laughs) I just was trying to think of like, who's a scrappy player who, you know, you don't really think of like, you know, God-given skill and talent, and that's why I went with <laughs> Delavadova. That's a, no offense. No, that's that's the exact <laughs> Delavadova slander I would expect from a from a Bulls fan. Yeah. Ponzi, well, well. So you, you played last year and you're playing again this year with your ex-teammate yeah. Jermaine O'Neal. You guys were co-captains last year. The big three, you guys redraft everybody but the captains. I think that's my understanding. Um, so you were actually were, were put into the draft this year. Did you know that Jermaine would take you again this year or was there a chance that you thought maybe somebody else would take you? Oh, not at all. Because um, actually, I actually... Um that briefly retired from the big three over the um, over the fall. I had a um, health issue, and I thought it was going to um, prevent me from playing basketball again. But you know, God is good, and he got me back uh, got me back right. So I decided to, um, I was going to play. But after I decided, they had already uh, replaced me with uh, Nate Robinson. So we just we had, we had talked about it, and we just decided for the franchise we were going to draft the first two players available that was the best and then get me into with the third pick so it was kind of we knew exactly what we we're going to do going in when it came to drafting me but there, there was no other team out there that wanted to kind of foil your plans and, and take you early before Jermaine could get you you know honestly we didn't even tell nobody I was in, I was in the draft until it was time to draft so <laughs> we didn't we didn't want no problems because you know my buddy Steven Jackson you know he wanted to put me him and Ron Artest on the same team and, and bully the big three so Oh yeah, that <laughs> would be great. Talk, there was some thoughts about doing that, but you know, we, I, I, you know, he, he's a good guy. He, he kind of knew that I wanted to get back with Jermaine and get, stay with my original franchise. You were a part of of one of my favorite teams because it was the first good team in the history of the Grizzlies franchise. You were traded to the Grizzlies from the Blazers. Do you remember what you felt like when you ended up getting traded to Memphis? I'm not gonna lie, I was crushed. I was crushed. Yeah to be honest, because it was the first, you know, when you get traded, you don't understand getting traded. You think, mm-hmm. oh, my, my team don't want me, and I'm just, oh, God, they done gave up on me. But then you don't really realize on the other side that this team is trading for you, really excited to have you. They want you. They love you. They want you to be a part of their, their future. So at first I was bummed out until I got to Memphis, and I saw the love, and everybody was just so happy that I was there and excited. Man, it felt so good after almost getting punched in the stomach by getting traded. So you know what? I was just so happy after a while when I got there and just getting into the community, and just, it was just so much love in Memphis. And I just hated when they traded me away. And really, that's really one of the biggest regrets of my life that I got traded from there because I felt like I was a perfect situation in, in Memphis for me. 
Yeah, I, I, I specifically remember being bummed too. Because again, like I really, li- I really like you. Uh, something about your game, like the post-up game, the way you abuse smaller guards, and like the, the way you always brought energy, brought that effort. I loved it. Um, what are some of your favorite memories of your time on the Grizzlies? Um, I just remember how, how we came together because when I got there, we were like two and ten, maybe or we mm-hmm. were mad. And I just remember meeting Hubie Brown. And he had a formula for us to have success. And he, and he, I just remember him and Jerry West was telling me, like, I was the last, I was the piece they needed to go to that next level. And I didn't understand what they were saying. I was just like, okay, I'm just ready to hoop. And then he was just like, basically, like, listen, we need a guy like you that's going to help Pau Gasol get through people trying to, you know, out-tough him and stuff like that. We need you to, you know, help us. And I was like, okay, what, what do I do? You know, he was like, hey, just be a great teammate. You know, be, you know, be, be a locker room guy. You know, be a guy that's going to keep motivating these guys, and that's what I did. And, you know, I, and whatever he asked me to do, come off the bench, start, I was going to do because he was just such a great coach and he was such a great teacher. And I respected him so much because he was a straight shooter. So I remember I remember the day we opened the forum. It was so big for the city. I just was like, oh, my goodness, this is going to be a building that the whole city can, you know, just rally around because I just understand how Memphis goes. So I was just so excited to be a part of that process. And just just meeting guys, you know, I just I still remember Lorenzo Wright, you know, rest in peace, my, you know, that's my buddy. I just remember how he used to just take me around the city and introduce me to people, and just let me know that letting people know that I was cool. So, so it was just so many good memories around in Memphis for me. Lee, Lee Ellis. Ellis. You guys turned a, uh, a basketball podcast, you know, the Basketball Jones, into this successful TV show. And uh, I think you guys are an inspiration or, or something that a lot of other people look up to or have enjoyed or we see ourselves in like I, we started our basketball podcast actually right after um i went to las vegas summer league for the first time in, in 2014 and you guys were doing the live shows there and i was like these guys are having so much fun and they're just talking about basketball that's that seems cool like i want to do this for fun that, that seems great um so i'm curious when you guys were when you guys were were gr- gaining traction with the basketball jones and like the, the show was getting bigger was there a point where you realized that stuff that you guys were saying might be heard by teams or players? And, and did you guys have to like adjust your strategy at all? Uh, I mean, not, not really one particular moment. Um, certainly since we've been at NBA TV and we've had a bigger platform, we know that players know and watch the show. Well, uh, you know, not every player and not every single show, but there's been things that have happened that have indicated to us that uh, players are watching the show. And and one, I mean, for me, one of the most significant moments was uh, during the 2015 three-point shootout when Steph Curry won it for the first time and he hadn't won it in three previous trips. And he was asked by someone in the media, they said uh, afterwards, like, you haven't won this before, Take you know, this is your fourth time and you won it, what was the difference? And Steph referred to uh, one of the shows where I was talking about the three-point shootout and saying how, how players stack the ball to their to the which side of their body they stack the ball because I think that helps them get into a rhythm shooting. Now Steph didn't reference my name uh, or even he didn't even say the starters, but he said NBA TV. They were talking about it, but it was obvious what he was talking about because yeah. that was our friend. And so, uh, like immediately as soon as they said that, people on Twitter were like, "Oh my God, Steph just said this," and blah blah blah. <laughs> and so I was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" And then I watched it and I'm like, oh, "I wish he said my name. I wish he said the show." But 
Anyway, so earlier this year, before the uh, All-Star Weekend, because I do the three-point shootout myself for the show every year, and so I went out actually here, back to Oakland here, and uh, Steph was like my coach, and we were talking about it. And so, you know, for me to have that moment where something I said on the show was heard by, you know, an MVP and maybe the greatest shooter we've ever seen, and then he not only heard it, but he incorporated that into what he was doing, and then he had success with it was just a really uh, staggering moment for me and, and something that was really, really cool and really awesome. So I was really happy with that. But I also know as well that we have uh, criticised players and, and said things that players don't like. Um, but none of that is about trying to go to player into responding or, or trying to get into a, a fight or anything like that with someone. I mean, our job is to be objective and to be as honest as we can with um our, our listeners and viewers and, and try to give our perspective. And so I'm sure there's, there's players out there who have heard things we've said and not liked it, um, but we, we never go out to say, well, I'm not going to say anything bad about this guy because I, I hope to interview him one day or anything like that. I mean, we we still say what we uh, what we believe and, and what is uh, our opinion. And, you know, if that upsets somebody, then that upsets somebody. But we never sort of say, oh, you better not say that just in case he doesn't like it. If that's how you truly feel about someone or when you're criticising someone's performance, then you have to say it. And, uh, I mean, I've been critical of James Harden, um, you know, in the playoffs in the past because, you know, he's been an incredible player uh, as, as he's likely to win the MVP this year. But there have been definitely times in the playoffs where, he goes missing, and, and I've mentioned that, and, and I think that's important for me to acknowledge that that's what happened. That he is a great player, but in the playoffs, there are times where you wonder, you know, where he sort of where his mind goes, maybe because um, he doesn't perform in that same level. So, but if you don't if you don't say things like that that you truly believe and that you you, um, you you figure these things out by watching the league and following the games and following the players, then I don't think the show would be as successful because people would then feel that maybe we're only saying things to just try to, you know, not upset anybody or, or not make any uh, players, you know, not like the show. Yeah, and you mentioned also, like, you don't want to just say nice things. But one of the defining features, and this is a good thing, one of the defining features in my mind of the starters is as individuals, you guys seem really friendly and genuinely nice. And again, like the, the two or three times I've just said hey to you guys, and you're always talking to everyone and being so friendly. Did you guys ever have like a strategy session where you, where you said as a podcast, as a show, guys, let's be super generous and nice to everybody? Or is that just kind of like what you guys are? You guys just like talking basketball with people? No, well, that, that's exactly what it is. I mean, if, if you have to fake being nice or pretend being nice, then eventually it's going to catch up with you. I mean, you, you, you know, the, the one, the truest thing I think I've learned, uh, particularly about being on the show now for five years is you just have to be yourself. You have to be yourself because people are going to like you or hate you no matter what. And if you're trying to be somebody else or you're trying to act a certain way or a certain character, uh, then you're just not being totally true to, to, to who you are. And so, because I know as well, like for all the four of us on camera and even Matt and JD who are not on camera, but they're obviously uh, the director the director and producer of the show, we all have a, a group of fans who love us and we all have a group of fans who hate us. I mean, that's just the way it goes. Like some people, it doesn't matter what you do, they hate you for it. And there are other people who like anything you say or you tweet or what you say on the show, people just love it and they think it's great. And, and that's just, you know, that's just the way it is. And so you never sort of really want to go out and say, well, I'm going to try to win over this audience, so I'm going to say these things to these people or whatever. It's uh, You have to just be who you are and, and, and realise that 
some people are going to like you for it and some won't. And so, there's, you know, we've, we've never sat around and said, all right, guys, we're going to Vegas. Make sure you put on your friendly face and say nice things to people. Mm-hmm. Like what you, those interactions you've had with us and other people have had, I mean, that's that's just us because we, we're just fans as well. At the end of the day, I mean, the show started as a podcast in 2006 when it was Skeeps, Tass and JD. And, and, you know, they had no grand strategy of how things were going to work out. It was more like, oh, let's just do this for a while and see how it goes. And then as things got more successful and got better, they learned to get better and, and added things to the show. And, um, you know, it grew organically from there. And and so the people that uh, you see in Vegas are exactly the same people that are in the office every day that, that we work with. And, you know, we, we have no one... No one's there going, oh, man, I don't want to go and have to be friendly to people. It's like, <laughs> you know, the, the interactions we have are genuine and, and, and uh, you know, they they you're, you're getting the real full experience of what it's like to meet one of us. Like there's no hidden agendas or uh, hidden personalities there that you don't see. I've created a game for you. Oh, okay. And uh, when we play games on our show, it's called A Game of Scones. So nice. your your game of scones, it's going to be a movie title mashup game. So I am going to read you the combined plot description of two movies. Okay. One of them will always be a famous basketball movie. Okay. I'm not even going to give you an example because I think right. you are made for this. And it's you a lot will, of pressure. And you will do great. Okay. There's so a lot the, of pressure. The first, the first couple, these are just movie titles mashed together. Here's your, here's your plot description. A recently paroled golden retriever wants to get back to his basketball playing life, but ends up aboard a prisoner transport flight where things go horribly awry. I mean, that's got to be Con Air Bud. Con Air Bud. Exactly right, Zach. I knew you would nail it. No examples needed. You're going to ace this. All right, here's your next one. After being stuck in a state of hypnotherapy, a regular guy stuck in a nine-to-five corporate job falls down a golf hole and must play basketball against the evil Monstars. I mean, that's got to be Office Space Jam. Exactly. All right. Now, we're moving to the slightly harder. Oh, man. I don't know. I don't I've know if I can do harder. I've now <laughs> changed. Each of these titles will have a word changed in the title. Okay. So they're, so they're not straight mashups. They're not uh, just alighted together. A okay. word is going to be changed in the title. Two horror icons battle to the death when a fan who won a contest to coach the struggling Knicks Face us off against a hockey mask wearing psychopath. Oh, uh, Eddie versus Jason. Exactly. Yes. Well done. Your next one. In a terrifying post-apocalyptic apocalyptic wasteland where petrol and water fuel everything, a basketball coach builds his team based on talent, not race, breaking down social barriers. Oh, man. This is a little harder. I think this one's kind of hard. So it's got to be a Mad Max thing. Yes. And get read that for me one more time. The second part, a basketball coach, coach builds his team based on talent, not race, breaking down social barriers. Oh, um, it's about f- Texas Western. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, Mad Max Glory Road, Mad Max Glory Road. Okay. Exactly. I did that one. I cheated a little bit with you. Exactly. But I, uh, yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. This one's kind of tough too. An interracial couple surprises their parents by bringing home a plucky small-town basketball team who wins the big game against all odds. Um, oh, man. Interracial couple things throw me off. This movie was remade. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, 
<laughs> I mean, it's, is it, this has got to be a Get Out thing, right? No, it's not Get Out. So it's, oh. uh, it's an old Sidney Poitier film where uh, his oh. art brings a film. That, this might be too hard. The movie uh, is Guess Who's uh, Coming to Dinner. This is Guess Hoosier's coming Guess to Hoosier's, dinner. Oh, man. That, that one was Hoosier pretty... All right, all right. That was a good one. That's a good one, though. <laughs> all right. I think you're going to get this one. An adventurous Pacific Island teenage girl okay. gets banned from the WNBA but disguises herself as a man to make it in the NBA. I mean, that's got to be Moana, man. Moana, man. All right. That was good. That's the one when I was listening to your episode. Uh, you guys talked about Moana and then Juana Man right after. I'm like, oh, that's... Yeah. Oh. Oh, that's it, funny. It's real mad at me because I fell asleep during uh, Moana once. Yeah. I haven't. I, I, my kid and my wife watched it and I, I missed it. It seemed good. Yeah. I'll, I'll watch yeah, it at she, some point. Yeah, she was like, oh, you've got to watch it. Because a lot of people get mad that I've never seen Lion King. Oh, n- n- nothing wrong there. That's, yeah, all about, was, that's all about an age thing, I feel like. I was, of the, I was of the right age. I just never watched it. I don't know why I never watched it. And then I had it on, a DV, I had it on my DVR for like a year and a half and just never pushed it. That's play. like uh, uh, Sandlot. Like Sandlot came out when I was like 13 or 14. Yeah. And I missed it that year. And then it wasn't around. Like you had to get like a, VH, you had to get a VHS tape to watch something. I'm not going to go right. rent Sandlot when I was 14. <laughs> you know, so then I missed it. And I, like, I'm never going to catch up and watch that as an adult. So right. anyway. All right. This is the last one. This one is a three-way mashup. It's going to get kind of weird. Uh, so this, this one could be tough. This is three movies mashed together. After the suspicious death of his brother, a mobster returns home and goes on a revenge spree that causes him to mysteriously awake on the surface of Mars where he becomes embroiled in an epic conflict before once again heading to his old high school where he becomes basketball coach and whips the team into shape through hard work and discipline. Oh my god! So I don't know if you can if you can suss out what the basketball movie is. That might help you. Um, the basketball movie is Coach Carter. Yes. Mars. This was a Disney movie that starred Tim Riggins. <laughs> whatever his real, whatever his real name is. Yeah. Uh man, I'm I'm stumped on this one. Yeah, this one's pretty hard. All right, this is a co- this is a combination. The answer is get Coach John Carter. Oh, so man. we have get Carter, the Michael Michael Caine classic that was remade. Yeah, and then John Carter. So get Coach John Carter. That oh, one was tough. That's a good one. That's that a good tough. one though. I uh, I appreciate you you be willing to play on the spot. Oh, of course. One of the big issues. Um, that you just mentioned is what do we do then if the person who's about to get the ball and we decide to let it play on fumbles it out of bounds or gets the ball and as they they go to make the pass it slips out of their hands to out of bounds and we've had a violation then that was chosen not to be called and I think that that's one of the big things you know, you could say the same thing about the take foul at at where someone just barely reaches out to grab someone and they go on through for an uncontested layup. Right. Why would you call that? You just took away an uncontested layup. Well, if you don't call that grab that they're wanting called as a defensive team and then that player dribbles the ball off his knee immediately afterward, we're going to be saying, why didn't you call that foul? 
And so it becomes a no-win situation. Rules gives, give consistency from night to night. And so if we do have a portion of our rule in the, in the example that you just gave and Casebook plays to support it, that if the horn and the new possession are simultaneous or so close together that you can't determine it, you should lay off the whistle. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't include the ball in the middle of the air when the horn goes off, and then there's no there's no whistle because at any given time, then we would have to say, okay, it slipped through your hands on that rebound and went out of bounds. We're going to go back and call the violation tonight, but then maybe not on. It just becomes a much more difficult thing for our staff of 65 people to adjudicate on a regular basis consistently. Mm-hmm. And remember, when we're talking about 65 people. We don't have 65 30-year referees. We have a wide range of experience and a wide range of people who are learning the craft at different stages of their lives. We have three different positions on any given night, a crew chief, then a referee, and then our our least, most often our least experienced official is in the umpire position. And when you're talking about, you know, Kenny Maurer in year 33 or 34, and you know, Tyler Ford in year three, that's a wide gap about how to interpret what you just said. The rule, when held accountable on any given night, allows those years of service to be compressed into a consistent effort, we think, on a night-to-night basis. See, I'm, I'm allowing you guys a little more rope, Monty. You don't have to hide behind the rules. Let's just let them go, man. Yeah, like, the problem with your rope, the, the problem with your rope is is it can be made into a noose very quickly. There you go. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to make sure our referees don't get put in the noose. That's fair. That's fair. No, it's also, a, a, I, think, I think my least favorite rule that currently exists is the clear path review. That's another one just, yep. just as far as watching the game. Like as far as watching the game, sure. I feel like as a fan, I would rather the officials miss some clear path reviews just call it by judgment. Just go for the spirit of if it looks like they're, they're the, there's no defender back because stopping the game for these reviews drives me batty. And also, I don't know if this is the, the rule called correctly. Sometimes right there's, there's, your team needs it. <laughs> right, right. Well, so like there's, there's times when there's a defender who then doesn't actually commit the foul until the guy has gone past him. And then it's clear path. And I'm like, well, he right. wanted to foul. Well, let me him. cut you off there. Yes. Let me, let me cut you off there. And I won't get into the particulars because it has not been approved. All right. Uh-huh. But clear path is currently being attempted to being simplified. Okay. All right. So you, your desire is, has been heard <laughs> and it's no doubt due to this podcast that this is taking place. <laughs> and, uh, but it is currently being reviewed to get to a more simplified version of the rule so that fans and referees and coaches have a better understanding of what constitutes a clear path. I won't get into the particulars of that simplification because I don't know how its final interpretation will, will result. And I don't want them to speak here publicly, but your, your, your view on that is, is widespread and is part of a larger contingency that, that don't disagree with you. And so we're taking a look at that currently and most likely would have some most likely not guaranteed, but most likely we would have some um, new interpretation to share with the 2018, 2019 season. Well, that's, that's very exciting. Well, it just, it seems like when we, cause 
the idea, if you want to encourage fast breaks and to discourage the fouling, that's where I get confused sure. on, again, like if you play advantage, like some, I guess, international basketball does sometimes, you know, and those not calling fouls in transition, it also seems confusing or in conflict with that fouling a guy at half court who then tricks the defender, you know, to fouling him and then he shoots a three-pointer, which you guys have sure. ruled is not a three-pointer. It, it seems like if that was well, a three-point no, foul. Well, we should rule that as a view. Yeah, we should, and we, we've we've gotten better at that, and there's still room for improvement with that area. But once again, if upward shooting motion takes place and that offensive player has been able to use his, his wily wits to get to a good space, then we have to make sure that we are doing a better job of that. And we have done a pretty good job, but there is room for improvement on that play that you just described. Well, the defender is going to, in my mind, not attempt that foul in transition. If it seems like there's a solid chance that Russell Westbrook would get three shots because he got a half, he got a half court shot up or something to that effect. Sure. But um, anyway, sure. uh, to, to, to let you off the hook here, um, what <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in your in your career, um, what do you guys do? What do, what do referees do after a big game? Like what game seven of the twenty sixteen finals? You you were refereeing one of the biggest basketball games in the last however many decades. Uh, the game's over. You were standing, you know, a few feet away from LeBron James. The block. Th- then what? You just go to you go have dinner. You just how, how do you come down from that? <laughs> Do they give you champagne well, you in the referee room? Do you, do you get a, the dressing <laughs> room? No, they do not. <laughs> no, they do not. Um, there is a sense of, uh, you know, um, we were all very prideful of our work that night. And that's not to say it was perfect, but we, the Duke Callahan, Michael Callahan, uh, who we all refer to as Duke, and Danny Crawford and myself, and Mark Davis was the alternate that night. Um, we were, we, we all had felt very prideful that we had met the moment of, of a wonderful game and a wonderful game for our league, you know, in terms of the drama it, it produced. And that isn't something that you just let go of lightly. You're, you're very much locked in and in a tunnel there in that kind of situation filled with pressure. And when you come back from that or are finished with that, there's a, there's a, a time frame that it takes um, to come down from that. Um, the four of us uh, afterwards spent some time together in the locker room there quietly. Um, then we start, started to process some of, of of that game, you know, and sharing different portions and or different thoughts about various plays. We did end up at dinner with our wives and our you know significant others, in some cases children. And, um, and the night went very long. That being said, my wife has told me without me really understanding it, that it took me almost 10 days to come down off that, to be normal again, to, to not be sort of locked in on thinking deeply about things. And I don't remember that portion of things. I do remember being, you know, feeling in the day leading up to it. And then even later through the the days afterwards, of being very prideful that we did not let the game participants down with poor work. And you're right. It, it takes time to, to process that kind of intensity. And I think that, that the NBA game consistently provides that kind of intensity. And I think that's why it's the best league in the world. 
Ian Carmel. I feel like from afar I see you. Seems like things are going pretty well. Uh, yeah. I think you're pretty important according to yourself. But if yes. you're ranking your life, if you're ranking your life highlights, uh, put these in order. Uh, filming a, a television bit with Damian Lillard. Yes. Receiving a piggyback ride as a child from Kevin Duckworth. Those are two big ones. Or going from Netflix employee to having a Netflix quarter hour special. Oof. Oof. Those are tough because those are probably the big three. <laughs> I'm going to have to put it at, I think the journey from Netflix customer service to Netflix quarter hour is probably the one I value the most only because it represents going from having to eat Jack in the box to not having to, but still eating a Jack in the box. Right. Just economically. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Jack in box is now the icing on the cake, not the sustenance you need. Not the cake itself. Yeah, exactly. Although the other two are very, the other two are very cool. The, the Lillard one, um, the Lillard one, because tied up in that, is getting to witness the 0.9 second shot. So that's oh, yeah. probably two. And then number three is uh, Kevin Duckworth, because I was I was a kid, you know. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know if it was like a tentpole moment though as a kid. It was it was pretty it was pretty cool, but like I was you know honestly, if it had been a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle at the time, <laughs> I'd been just as excited about it. Um, and finally, the LeBron James thing, I'm I'm dying laughing about like this oh, whole. God. I don't know how you uh, you you sign LeBron James and yet have a bad offseason. Like I am, I, I, it's I'm lost. It's perfect. It's so it, perfect. It is perfect. I am I am loving every second of it because the euphoria that the Lakers fans felt. You know, like well, first they got mad at Paul George like for not signing there. Yeah, and then like they were more mad at Paul George for not signing with the Lakers than the Cavalier fans were at LeBron for leaving Cleveland. And if that isn't the most perfect example of Lakers exceptionalism I've ever seen, it's, ugh, it ju- it's just fun because the Laker fans thought they were, they were like out on full force after the LeBron James signing, thinking they were again, like, you know, King <laughs> big mountain again. And then immediately <laughs> they get, they signed JaVale and Lance and all the and Rondo, all the and not. I mean, Rondo was pretty good last season. I should know, especially as a Trailblazer fan. But um, I wasn't going to bring it up. Yeah, <laughs> but like, uh, but it's just hilarious. I tweeted yesterday a thing that it's one of those conspiracies that I half believe and half don't believe. But just that, like, LeBron was like, "Go sign the craziest players possible because we're not going to beat the Warriors this year. We're just not. It's just not going to happen." So go sign the craziest people possible, and then no one will blame me for when we don't beat the Warriors. Yeah, I I, I saw so I don't know who tweeted the joke, but it was like LeBron, like he, he wants to see Paris in May. And yes. he's like, I, I, I'm getting older. I, I'm going to be too old to enjoy it. I'm going to go somewhere. Like, I don't want to drag a team into the finals one more year. Like, let's just That's do one hilarious. year. I'll come to L.A. and then, hey, we're going to be a first round wash. Uh, and, it, and then we'll set it up for the future. But I, I need guys. I need a year off. I got. I got to recharge. I, I got. I got. I got to go see where uh, you know Satie and Gershwin had had coffee one night or something. You know, like <laughs> I, I got to do he wants, it. He wants to drink Campari soda in, uh, yeah, yeah. on the Champs Elysees. I get it. Yeah. 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 
Anthony, Anthony, how are you? You know, just sitting here in my basement, enjoying life, thinking about LeBron. <laughs> in your basement? You are, you're in the SB Nation house, correct? Is that what we're calling from right now? I'm in Harrison's hotel room. Oh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, last time I had you on, Anthony, you were on with Harrison. He's specifically not invited on this time, even though we can hear him in the background, and he's ruining this episode. <laughs> he's the worst. This is why I fired him from Lockdown Lakers. Yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Still going. He's just sitting here just talking crap. But yeah, no, we the the SB Nation house. Well, we're not allowed to call it the SB Nation house, but the house that a bunch of people from SB yeah the a, oh. the house that a bunch of people from SB Nation was in was rented through this morning, and oh, I, I accidentally you. booked a trip for one day too long. So now I'm stuck here in Harrison's hotel room recording this this podcast while he ruined said podcast. That's good. It's uh, last time he just ruined it by being on it. This time he's ruining it just by being <laughs> near it. Harrison is an enemy of the show now. I tried to see Harrison several times uh, in Las Vegas, but Harrison was always seated in like the very uh, impossible to reach media areas. And I would I would tweet at Harrison, be like, "Hey, where are you, buddy?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm sitting sitting baseline." And I'm like, "I can't get to you." And then eventually, I just started tweeting at him, coward coward and uh so we never we, ne- we never met up so harrison's not uh not not allowed on this episode how how has your vegas trip been though did you have any uh meaningful or entertaining uh player interactions or did you see players doing anything funny and you don't have to narc them out by saying their actual names if maybe it was embarrassing uh my favorite player mo- moment this this trip has been zach brandoff wa- wandering into the arena carrying like it was very obviously, it was one platter of, of chicken fingers, but it was very obvious that he bought like three or four of them and then just stacked <laughs> all of the chicken fingers onto the one, onto the one platter. That was, that was, and he walked in and he was wearing like a, I don't know, I don't, I want to say I'm going to live the rest of my life thinking that he was wearing a Zebo chain and sunglasses and he just like popped down and acted as if like nobody would notice, but everybody in the, in the, section around him was either pointing towards like oh my god that people was like oh my god he's eating so much chicken it was pretty great. <laughs> and, and it's good to notice Zebo <laughs> was sitting somewhere where he was accessible to other people, unlike Harrison, who yeah. was hiding uh, down in this like secluded <laughs> like media area where no one could get close to him like a coward would. Jerry the Grizzlies have been one of the slowest teams in terms of pace. I think for like the last seven years, they're, they're always at the bottom of the league as far as pace. Uh, I read on the Raptors 905, you guys played more of a pace and space style. Like you embraced the three-pointer. You said on the low post last summer that Coach Stackhouse might not like player Stackhouse's shot selection. Uh, and, and that's funny to me. Also, is the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies uh, have been really bad at two point field goal percentage for the last several seasons. Mm. They've been, you know, last season, obviously you can throw that out for whatever, you know, maybe they weren't trying to win all the time, but like other seasons, they're still shooting mid range jumpers. They're not making a high percentage of them. Is that something that you guys as an offense are are trying to address? And again, like what is that style of offense you guys are shooting for? Well, I mean, I think a lot of the personnel wants to really able to get our hands on us. A lot of off season, um, you know, signings that we had this summer, guys that uh, are new to the fold and kind of understanding their skill set. Uh, I don't think we want to take 
guys away from their strengths. Uh, maybe we maybe have a guy now that's really good in the mid range. We don't want to, you know, not have him, you know, play to his strengths. But, but the, the numbers kind of say that um, it's, it's better to get in the paint or it's better to take the three. And so obviously we like to, you know, like prefer to have one of those two shots. But if it's late in the shot clock or if it's the, you know, the best shot available, sometimes you get into those those moments in the game where you don't care where the basket comes from, it come from. Mm-hmm. You could kick it in, but but I think it's just from you know kind of playing the percentage. And JB has a background with with Houston and and, and really having the analytics play a part of uh, of our style and what we're trying to do. But um, you know, again, you know, it's play play to your strengths. If it's somebody that's, that's that's good on the post up, if it's a guard that can post up, we want to post them up. But uh, I think that the trying to figure out the numbers in the past and what has happened, we, we, we're just starting with a clean slate and figuring out the best way for us to uh, put points on the board. But I think pace is a is a skewed number. I mean, I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of teams that want to get up and down. It's really about taking shots, how quickly you take shots early in the shot clock. And I, I don't know if we have that type of team or, or, or that type of makeup to where we want to come out and just take quick shots. We want to use – you know, make the defense work, move the ball from side to side. And sometimes when you when you do that, then you're not going to be one of those numbers that's going to be uh, one of those teams that's going to be at the the best level of, of pace. But you look at some of some of the best pace teams last year. You know, not to, not to knock anybody, but you know, it was some of the teams that in the bottom, you know, probably bottom ten in the league. You know, as far as win percentage, uh, were some of the better teams as far as pace. So I, I don't know if that's the number that you really want to chase. Yeah. So you said some of the guys you guys acquired this, this off season, you know, that they're going to hopefully fulfill the needs of the Grizzlies. One of the big needs of the Grizzlies has always been, you know, scoring. And again, when I look at this team, uh, like the guys, the guys that were brought in, Kyle Anderson, uh, Garrett Temple, aren't really scorers. And assuming Mike and Mark are healthy, there's a lot of question marks on the wings. Like, like who's going to get the buckets for the Grizzlies? So, when you look at the roster, who are you hoping is going to come into this season and step up and get those buckets that the Grizzlies need? Well, I mean, when you look at some of our young young wings and and, and what they've been able to to show flashes, um, a Dylan Brooks. Uh, you know, Marshawn Brooks, who came in last year at the end of the season, did you know did really well. Um, he's a high level scorer. I mean, I, I played with Marshawn in, in, in Brooklyn, and he's a guy that could could be really, really, you know, really, really good for us from the standpoint of, of points on the board. Um, Andrew Harrison, trying to see the next level that he's taking. Obviously, um, getting Chandler back into the fold again. These guys are. They're going to have to do it more by committee. Like I said, I don't think uh, we got a guy that we can look at and say we've added a 20-point score, but I think we've added a guy that could you know, facilitate for us and make the game a little bit easier for other players. And like a Kyle Anderson, we can post him. Um, he can play make out of a pick and roll. And it may not necessarily you know, equate to him putting points on the board, but because he's making uh, creating you know, easier scoring opportunities for, for, for other people that it, it overall, you know, helps our team. All right. I got you. So, so last thing, I got two questions for you. You just tell me what are the odds these things happen this year? You can tell me if it's likely to happen or, or no, no chance at all. All right. What are the odds that Jerry Stackhouse will sing a national anthem before a Grizzlies game? Uh, I'd say it's probably a 50, 50 chance. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that, oh, that's a, that's a, 
That's a lot higher than I thought you were going to say. So this is good. I, I know some people. I can make this happen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get people to pressure you. That's perfect. All right, all right. Lastly, the, the one thing, this is what I really want you to do. I know you have, a, you have a history of toughness. You know, when you played, no one messed with you. I know NBA fans like myself who grew up watching you. Like, you know, you were respected. So what are the odds you can teach Mike Conley to get his first ever technical foul? Can you do that? <laughs> Mike has never had a technical man. He, had, he had one and it was rescinded. So he, so he, he, he oh. has no technical fouls in his career. I think you need to, you know, tell him, like, it's good to be respectful, good sportsmanship, but, but we, need a, we need a tech tonight, Mike. Like, I, I want you to do that. I'm going to make it my business to get him a technical, but I'm going to make sure we have 20 points first. But there I'm you gonna, go. <laughs> I'm going to put that on my bucket list. That's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> Um, Over the summer, there were reports that you were being considered for the GM job of the Hawks. Is a front office job something that you're you're looking to do? It is something that um, I'm hoping to do. Um, You know, I've kind of looked at at things since uh, retiring 2009 as as a little bit of a a break from basketball in a way that allowed me some time to 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 be with my boys and take the the make sure that the priorities in order um, of of GMing the home first mm-hmm. and and then thinking about a job within the league. But that that time is getting closer and closer. I was really flattered by the Hawks' uh, gestures last year in, in reaching out and engaging my interest in possibly becoming the general manager. They have a great ownership group with Tony Ressler and uh, of course I know Mike Budenholzer is the head coach and there would have been some uh, some really nice connectivity there but um, you know after some some early conversations and things they moved on and ended up hiring Travis Schlink away from the Golden State Warriors and and good for them but going through a little bit of that process and talking with them was great and I, I have a bit of a time frame that I'm, I'm looking at, and it's getting closer and closer. So I'm, I'm really excited about that opportunity and have had some great conversations with, uh, with, with many people on many levels around the league that I, I think are, have been advantageous to me. And um, I, I think ultimately will, will help me get a position that, that I'm really excited about uh, taking on and, and trying, to, trying to do that, put a team together. Well, I'm definitely pulling for you because as far as I know, no other NBA podcaster has ever been hired as an NBA GM. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, I think maybe you're Great. opening some doors. You, you know, you <laughs> could open be... some doors and uh, that, that would be a good trailblazer. All right. Hey, last thing, uh, if you're up for it, uh, we have a thing on our show uh, called the Game of Scones, which actually predates the starters Game of Bones, I would like to point well, out. Wow, good. But well, anyway... Then. Kudos to you. We also have a thing uh, which celebrates kind of the, uh, you know, negative side of basketball, as in poor performances. And I I know you're at least somewhat aware that we do things a little bit backwards at Fast Break Breakfast, but we give out each week the International Stackhouse of Pancakes Award for the worst (laughs) shooting performance. Uh, So we've already pointed out, you know, you're historically one of the greatest shooters ever. Uh, but you got to have both. You can't be yeah. can't be a great shooter and 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 then have not have the bad days to fight through. So exactly. So since you plenty of those. since you knew your record against Kobe Bryant, I'm going to ask you some questions about some of your perhaps worst games in a game of scones. I shop game of bones edition. 
Okay. All right. E- easy, All right. easy warm up. Do you do you remember or do you know what is your career with, high? With the bre- this is this is the uh, the breakfast version of humble pie. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, Thank I you. Like Very that. on brand. Uh, yeah. Do you remember what's your high? What's your career high in turnovers in a game? Oh, I d- I'm gonna guess seven. Oh, so you got off easy. Six, four times. Oh, okay. Well, Only I six. Done, I should have done worse. Okay. Uh, your next. Your Wait, next. I, I wonder. I wonder yeah. what team that was with. Do you, well, do you have that? I do. I had it pulled up. I've got more in depth. Yeah, let's dive into this no. next game. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you the specifics of this. Okay. All right. Okay. So technically, winning is all that matters, and your team did win. But on basket on basketball reference, your worst game score was a game where you went scoreless and also impressively fouled out. Mm. Do you remember the opponent and the season? Scoreless and fouled out. Yeah. The Jazz? No. I'll give you a hint. You came off the bench. It was early in your career. Scoreless and fouled out. That doesn't sound like a really fun game. (laughs) Um... Road game? Boston. Boston. It was a home game. uh, January, no, December 3rd, 1996, against the Charlotte Hornets. You were over seven with six fouls, no points, and a win. Uh, All right. Well, good. Do I have any assists? Uh, you had two assists, one okay, rebound, well, two assists, something. one steal, one turnover. Do you uh, like the fact that I'm guessing other games? This is how this is how many bad games. No, I this is, I'm this, guessing this other is, opponents where I might have really sucked. This was also the game uh, that you took the most attempts without making a shot, being 0 for 7. Okay, All right. Well, next, the, look at that. I mean, that's not, it's not enough. I should have kept trying. The next game you might like to forget, uh, your worst shooting performance in a game where you actually made one shot. You were 1 for 10. Do you remember the opponent and the year? One for ten. Mm, can you give me the year? Maybe I'd be able to help it was, with the opponent. It was 1997, December of 1997. So the next year, one the next of year. ten. Yep. Was it? Was it in Boston? I, 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 <laughs> I got to find it. this Boston game you're thinking about. Yeah, because I, I remember just having a really crappy game in Boston. I'm like. One of these games has got to be Boston. It's uh, uh, it's it's 90, not. Boston. I'm going to find you this Boston right, game. Though. Ninety-seven, one of ten. No clue. Uh, your opponent was your friend Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Uh, okay, well that makes sense. I feel better <laughs> about that. At least it was the '97 Bulls where I really had a, I really pooped the bed. One of <laughs> ten against MJ. Yeah. All right. In your most misses. All right. There was a right. three for 12 against Boston on April 4th of 1997. Yeah, that's not good. There's also a three for 11 in 2003. That's coming off the bench yeah. for, the, for the Sonics. That's no, that's no big deal. All right. Finally, uh, this isn't that bad one. Do you remember what's the most number of shots you ever took in a game? I, I think only 14 or 15, maybe. No, no, much higher. You, really? you, you you had a couple of games where you run fire where you took fourteen or fifteen yeah. against the uh, against the Dallas Mavericks in nineteen ninety eight. You were nine for twenty. Not terrible. Oh, oh I got a twenty got, in got, there. Got, That's you good. Got twenty shots. I, I, I you know you you're reminding me. You're kind of uh, sparking some interest in in what it would have been like in in thinking about playing in today's game where you know you could find an early three pointer. You weren't reserved to come down and explore the post-ups and you had to, you know, maybe play through the possession a little bit that, uh, you know, how many more games of double figure shot attempts? It would have been a lot more 
would have been a lot more fun. There might have been a few more statistical, uh, spectacular performances had the reins been off a bit. So I do get a little bit envious of the guys that are oh, yeah. are coming into the league and playing the way that they get to play now. It's it appeals to me so much more. I really enjoy watching it. It just appeals to the way that I. I kind of wish I'd gotten a chance to play for a little bit. <laughs> well, if you were on the Rockets nowadays, like Eric Gordon can go four for 13 from three, and it's no big deal. You're like, that's that's his job. Yeah. He's doing his job. Well, I, I think the thing about that, though, is the fact of the matter is that the next game is you're going to get it again. It, oh, these yeah. weren't anomalies. You didn't have all, all of a sudden uh, it's a 12 or 14 field goal night. Because, I, I mean, I really shot most of the time like six, seven, eight shots a game, and that puts pressure on you to – you know, choose the right shot, be efficient with your shooting in order to make contributions, at least in the scoring category. But to know that night after night, you, 12 to 14 looks and maybe seven or eight of them are going to come from the three-point line, that to me is, uh, that, that to me sounds very, very inviting. All right. Thanks to all of the guests from season four and from previous seasons for coming on the show thank you guys for listening if you want more fast break breakfast we have exclusive bonus content including bonus episodes available at patreon.com slash fast break breakfast you can follow us on instagram and on facebook and on twitter at fast break break you guys are the best thanks for listening and remember breakfast is the most important thing Yeah, never apologize for being TNG. Fast break, break, man. You understand? Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.